You know, for almost all of us, it is much easier to develop our vocal skills than it is to pick up an instrument and start playing it. And I always sort of wondered why that was until my wife, who has a music ed degree, reminded me that from the very beginning, we start using our voices. And what we find out is if we do, we can get what we want, right? I mean, that's why a baby uses its voice. And from the very first moment, one of the first things that we do in this life is begin to use that voice. And along we go, we learn how to control it, we learn how to make music with it, to communicate with it. So all of life, we're using those vocalizations. But when we pick up an instrument, like we don't even know exactly how it makes a sound maybe, and we don't know how to make music with it for sure, and so it takes a long time. What it takes is a lot of practice. And I want us to think about that word over the next few weeks, practice, and use it in a slightly different way, but to think about how there are certain practices, certain things that we can do to develop our relationship with God. And it's not so much that we're trying to get proficient. It's not that we're like, if we do enough of this thing, we'll be good at it, and then we can know God. It's more just about the doing it that leads us to God. Now, when we think about a series like this, where it's all about developing our relationship with God, Maybe what we think is this is going to be about prayer and Bible reading and, you know, those are vital to knowing God. We can't know God without prayer. We can't know God without spending some time in his word and learning what he says about himself and about us. But we've covered those things before. In fact, we talked about prayer just a few weeks ago. And so I want us to go in a little bit different direction. I want us to think about some things that maybe we forget that are still vital practices for knowing God. And so the next four weeks, we'll think about four of those. And as I was thinking about this first one that I want to talk about in a few minutes, I began to think about a news report that I read last week. And it went like this, that on October 19th, maybe you heard about this, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Russert filed a class action lawsuit against the Kellogg Company for $5 million because... She says that the company's whole grain frosted strawberry Pop-Tart product doesn't have enough strawberries in its filling. The lawsuit itself says the strawberry representations are misleading because the product has less strawberries than customers expect based on the labeling. Now, folks, I love a frosted strawberry Pop-Tart, okay? If I'm going to have a Pop-Tart, that's the one it's going to be. But, folks, if you think that you're going to get one of the FDA's recommended daily allowances of fruits and vegetables in your Pop-Tarts, you're fooling yourself, okay? <laughs> if you think you're going to eat better, you got to be intentional and walking down the Pop-Tart or the cookie aisle is probably not the place to start, right? you got to do it on purpose. And so much of what happens in our relationship with God has to be intentional. We have to do it on purpose. And that's true with the, the, the concept that I want us to think about today, because it really has to do with our purpose. I want us to trace a concept that really shows up near the very beginning of the Bible and goes all the way through. We're just going to look at three passages that talk about this. There are many, many more. But I want us to see how God uses this to help us understand not only who he is, but also who we are and how we can know God better. And we're going to begin today, well, really, at the beginning. So we're going to look in the book of Genesis. If you know much about the Bible, 
Genesis is the very first book, so if you've got a Bible or if you want to take one of the pew Bibles in the rack in front of you, grab one of those. It's easy to follow this along because we're in Genesis, the first book. We're in chapter 1, the first chapter, okay? We're going to be near the end of that. Genesis 1 is all about beginnings. It's about the story of creation. And it traces out that creation in seven days, six days of God creating, and then the seventh day, God rests. What we see is the first three days, one, two, three, God creates spaces, okay, places, sun, the, the sky, the sea, the land, all right? And then on days four through six, you got a second set of three where God fills those things, okay? So he fills the sky with birds, he fills the sea with um, fish, he fills the land with land animals, and ultimately it comes down to the creation of humanity. Now, well, a lot of the Old Testament scholars are saying this as they study not only the story, but also Hebrew language in that day and time and the cultures that surrounded the people of Israel, all right, is that the language that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is first poetic, and some of the English translations reflect that by the way they set it off sort of in poetry form, all right, you can almost see it when you look at it, and second, that what the language of Genesis 1 is most like is the language of building a temple. And part of what the message there is is that all the gods in the ancient world, they, they built temples to all those gods, right? I mean, they built a building. Maybe it had several rooms at the very heart of that building. This was all about worship. And in the very heart of that building, they set up an idol, a representation of that god. So they would carve something out of wood or stone, usually wood, overlay it with precious metals, maybe even precious stones, get the nicest robe that they could, put on that idol, set it up, and that idol in the midst of the temple made for worship is the representation of that God to the people who see it, to everyone around, okay? That's how it worked. And the language of Genesis 1 is like that, but what the writers of this chapter are saying to their readers, to us is, our God is way bigger than any building could contain. Our God is different from all the gods of the peoples who surround us. Our God's temple is all of creation. Okay? Th this whole world, the universe itself, is God's temple. It is where we come to worship God. But we might say what's different is, where's the idol? There's, there's no idol to God that we've set up somewhere that points people to God. But then we read this at the end of the story, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Here in the middle of creation itself, God says, I have placed my image. It's not an idol. It's not made with stone and precious metals. But, but what God is telling us is, we are his representation in the middle of creation. We are made. There is something of God imprinted on us. 
And therefore, it's our job to represent the one true God in the whole temple, in all of creation. We are here not as an idol to be worshipped, but as God's image to represent him to everyone and everything around us. And I've used this image before, but it's like a, a mirror set at 45 degrees, right? If I set it at 45 degrees and I look in that mirror, what am I going to see? I'm going to see whatever's above. And it's like we are that mirror, like we reflect the very nature and glory of God to everyone around us. It's our job to reflect God to the people around us. And we do that by what we do and what we say. And maybe it's in this room that we worship. Or maybe it's the way that we treat people or the way that we do our work. We are called, we are given this job of reflecting the glory and nature of God to the people around us because we have been stamped with his image. Okay, we are, there's something of God placed upon us that allows us to represent him in the world. Okay, that's the beginning. Here in Genesis chapter 1, we're told this. If you look over in the very next book, maybe not hard to find, Exodus, and we'll be in chapter 20. This is the Ten Commandments, studied this a few weeks ago. This is where God lays out the very core of the law for his people Israel and says, this is what I want you to live by. This is the thing you need to know the most. And we're going to read just one of those commands. It's in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 4. It says this, you shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You know, I can remember being a kid and reading that passage and going, What's the big deal, right? Like, why is God so obsessed with images? I mean, I get that he didn't want his people to worship other gods, but what if they made an image that represented him and then used that as a way to worship? What would be so wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that we are the image of God. And if we choose to make something else to be God's image for us to use for worship, then we're forsaking, we're giving up our very purpose. We are saying what God created me to do, I'm not going to do. I'm going to make something else to use for that purpose. I'm not going to reflect God's glory and God's nature. Surely something else can do that better than me or maybe easier than me. And so from the very beginning, God told his people, don't make something else. Don't give up your purpose because you have been called to be my image in the world around you. Now, we could look at lots of different passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament that point to this fact that we are made in God's image. We're called to reflect God's glory. I want us to look at just one more, and it's in one of Paul's letters, way over in the New Testament, in the book we call 2 Corinthians. It's a, it's a tough letter. If you read it, it's from Paul to this church in Corinth. They're having problems. There's some dispute. It is not easy to get through because Paul is upset with them. 
But in the midst of that letter, he says something about this understanding of image that I think is helpful to us. And we find it at the end of chapter 3. This is what Paul says, last verse there, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're being trans, uh, transformed into his image. And maybe, maybe we might say, well, didn't Paul know we were already created in God's image? Didn't he get that? Well, Paul got that, okay? Paul was an expert in, in all these things that are related to our understanding of God, but certainly to the Old Testament. So he didn't miss that. Paul's point is this. We were created in God's image, but sometimes we mess this up because... We look in the world around us and see things that we really like. And we end up making those things the object of our worship. Now, we don't fall down and bow down, worship them like that, but we pursue them so wholeheartedly that they are at the very heart of what we want and what we pursue, whether it's things that we enjoy, whether it's things that make us feel secure, whether it's things that we want to achieve. All those things can become our gods. And we end up worshiping what is created rather than the creator. And what that's called is idolatry. And ultimately, it is sin. And it's the sin that corrupts us when we start worshiping what is created rather than the creator. And what this passage is calling us to is to recognize that in Jesus, things change. Because it's Jesus that bears the brunt of all of that sin, all of that idolatry, all of the evil that we've committed. He takes it all on himself so that we can be freed from it. And because of him, we are being transformed once again into the image of God so that we can fulfill our purpose to reflect God's glory and God's nature to the world around us. And it reminds us of a simple truth that I think we learn from these passages, and it's this. We're here to show people who God is. That's our purpose. We're here to reflect the very image of God. Because it's been imprinted on us, we've been called to show people who God is. Now, that gives us some responsibility, right? It means we've got to look in our lives and say, okay, what parts of my life do not reflect the nature and glory of God. And it might be that we've never really understood that because sometimes what we do is make our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ, Christianity itself, just about, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to follow Jesus and make sure that doesn't happen. Well, that's part of it, right? I mean, we want to spend eternity in heaven. And if it means following Jesus, then by all means, but if that's all we think about, then this life just becomes, let me avoid some sins that might get me in trouble. And that is not consistent with Genesis all the way through to 2 Corinthians and even further. Because we've been called to something more. We've been called as followers of Jesus Christ, as people made in the image of God, to use this life to show people who God is. Is And when we're recreated, reformed, re-imaged because of Jesus, then we're called to spend this life doing something with that, not just avoiding punishment, but pursuing this God who has created us in his image and then communicate that to the people around us. We miss so much if we don't talk about that part of the life that we've been given. And so we're called to use this image. It's the very best things about us. 
the love that we have for other people, the recognition of the pain we see that other people are experiencing, our desire for beauty and for truth and to offer grace to people. The very best things about us are the things that are made in God's image. And so we're called to use that to make life count for something. Not just to get everything we want out of life, but to give everything that has been given to us in life to other people. So we have this responsibility and this opportunity to show people who God is. And it's good for us to think about the question of what's, what's governing my life? What is, what is the governing principle in my life? We might not really think about that very often because we're just living life. But there's something in charge. Whether it's getting money or pursuing pleasure or making myself happy, somebody else happy, achieving something. Passages like these remind us that's idolatry. That's not what this life is about. What we've been called to do is to show people who God is. Let's pray together. God, impress your image on us if we need to be transformed into your image. Oh, we pray you do that. Might not be easy. Might make us change something. But God, help us to intentionally seek this out so that we can grow in our relationship with you. And God, help us to show people who you are. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.